This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So, um, for the last few weeks, we have been... um, Teaching out of Matthew 5. So go ahead and go to Matthew 5 because we're going to continue teaching on that. And um, Minister Martin started out and he kind of introduced us to the Sermon on the Mount. And then um, we got into the Beatitudes. And Minister Stinson came along and she taught on the Beatitudes. Minister Hill came along and she taught, he taught on some of those. So I'm going to continue tonight in that same vein. So we're going to stick in that same chapter, Matthew 5. And we're going to um, go ahead. We're going to look at verses right now, verses 1 through 12. So Matthew chapter 5, we'll just go ahead and read that. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So this he is Jesus. So that's, 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 who, that's just, just to clarify, this is Jesus. And this is what we get Sermon on the Mount, because he went up into a mountain. So, so, you know, sometimes I say those things, and I know Minister Martin brought them up. I think everybody's brought those up, because, but we say these things, and then people don't see it in the Bible, and they're like, well, well they get confused. It's just, it's just a way of describing things. So we just say the teaching on Matthew chapter 5, same thing. So anyway, so verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So, We've been looking at this, and it was, it's been established that this is Jesus' teaching. And the reason that it's important to understand that this is Jesus' teaching, and Minister Martin did a beautiful job of explaining who is Jesus. So the thing about it is if you just take this as a great preacher, or if you just take this as someone who has wisdom, these words that are being taught, you won't understand the, full, the fullness of them. But see, this is Jesus. So this is Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He is God. He has all authority. So when Jesus comes in and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So guess what? Those people are blessed. What what, what, what God, Jesus, what he says, what he deems, if he says it's blessed, it's blessed. So when we look at these things, We see Jesus teaching, and he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Don't get confused. It's the same thing. So when we see this, he's not teaching on what we can expect to get in this world system. He is not teaching on, um, based on our culture. 
He's not teaching based on our background. He's not teaching based on what we've personally gone through in the past. He's talking about the kingdom. And he is the king, so he will tell you what he lays out is what's going to happen in the kingdom. What he says is what it is. Does that make sense? So in this, you see in verse 1, he said he went up in the mount, and when, his, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So he, set up, he, he went to a certain place, and people came, including his disciples, and listened to him. So what we have here is we have an account of something that happened. So Jesus is talking to this whole group of people. But as you hear it, or as these people hear it, the message is to the group, but it is to be taken as an individual message. So at this time, that's what is happening. But we have these words right now. So what God is saying now, he's still saying this to us. So, like, now a lot of people hear these words, but it's for you individually. The gospel is preached to us all. But we have to take that and make individual application of it. When the word of God is taught, there is an immediate need, an immediate need to hear, understand, trust, and respond to it. We have to, you know, we, we have to make sure we understand it. I'm going to read it again. When the word of God is taught, there is an immediate need to hear, understand, trust, and respond to it. I say that because in this time where we are right now, where we are, what do they call it, socially distanced, um, things aren't like what they used to be. We have what we call a new normal. All these different things Maybe because what you were used to is, is different. Like you used to come into the building and we used to have service here. And you would be here and the teacher or whoever was teaching would maybe look around. And maybe just at the, at the time that they were talking about the thing you were into, their eyes happened to glance at you. And you thought, oh my God, they're talking to me. Now you don't have that same physical thing happening. But the word of God is still going forth. Just because we are in a pandemic, just because we can't physically come here, just because we can't do the things that we were doing, just because it seems like a lot of life is a pause, does not mean the word of God is not going forth. Does not mean that the same urgency that was before all this happened is still there. See, and we've learned this about time. Time is progressing. So listen, the time that you had back in March 2020 is not the time you have now. That's that's a year and some change. So if you're waiting to respond to the word of God until we come back to this building or until you get vaccinated or whatever, you've wasted all that time. You're not going to get it back. So don't get caught up in the method. Okay, the word is the word. So, so what, what, what happens is, oh, okay, so, say the internet goes out right now and we can't push the, push a live stream. I'm gonna still keep teaching. We'll pop it up when we can get it. Just because you didn't get it right when I said it, you think it's not the word of God? This is not my subject, but I'm just gonna say it. Those are excuses. Those are excuses. And if you wanna say that, that's fine, but God knows your heart. You say that when you want to do something wrong. God knows my heart. He does know your heart. So as long as you're talking all that mess, you're not ready to do the will of God. 
So, so I'm not going to tell you to, to stop listening because you need to listen. You need, you, need to let, you need to let the word of God confront you and say, God, say, this is where I am, God. Because God knows where you are. He knows where you are. He sent this word tonight to let you know, I know where you are. And you know what God is saying? I don't want you to stay there. Now, the choice is yours. You can choose to stay there, but God is saying, I'm throwing out the lifeline. I'm letting you come in right now. So you've got to make the decision now. What, what, I just said it. Immediately. Immediately make the choice. Right now. Say, God, I'm going to listen to your word and respond to it. See, that's the response. That's the response. Saying, okay, God, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to sit here and act like this is just a TV show and I'm texting and I'm doing all these other things while it's going on. And, oh, wait a minute, I've got to put these clothes in the dryer. I'm just going to pause it. No. No. God is saying, I'm talking to you now. Get it now. Because let me tell you what's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to get yourself in a situation, and we all get in situations, circumstances happen in life, and you're going to call on God, and you're going to expect God to answer you immediately. And then you're going to, you, you, it's not that God can't answer you, you just won't. You don't believe he will because you've been so unfaithful. So straighten up your head, get it together, and hear the word, understand the word, trust that it's the word of God, and respond to it. So back to what my notes now. So... um this is Jesus. I was saying, this is Jesus. He's the king. He has the final say. When we look at the Beatitudes, and that, that's just what we call that, that group of, of, of scripture from 3 to 12, um, it does not seem like this is something when we think of what the world says is blessed, or what we, sometimes what we even consider is blessed. We don't necessarily think that that's what that is. You know, blessed are the meek. I don't want to be meek. I want to be bold and out there and doing every one thing I want. I don't want to be merciful. We don't necessarily think those things should be blessed because we have a different way of looking at things. Or what we've seen in this, this society, we've seen people who, who we think are blessed. They have what we think is what we want. They've attained status. Um, they, they, it looks good. The outside looks good. And they don't exhibit these characteristics so we don't necessarily say, well, it's, the Bible says these people are blessed, but I'm not sure. But just remember, it's Jesus that has the final say. So we may experience things that don't align with what he says, but that doesn't change the fact that he's the king and this is truth. Now, people's free will and their ability to do what they want, it doesn't change truth. You know, I, I was reading something and uh, somebody said, yes, yeah, speak your truth. Okay. You may have an opinion. You, you do have an opinion. You also have a perspective. Your perspective is, is different from other people's perspective. That's your perspective. You don't have a truth. Okay? God is truth. If you're repeating what he says, then that's truth, but it is not your truth. You, you, let, let, I know, I know we want to get, it, it sounds cute, and it's real nice, and we want to support people, and we want to say stuff like that, but understand, if you're a believer, you better learn what, what to say and what not to say. You, Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. I don't have a truth. You don't have a truth. 
truth is not subjective. I don't care what everybody else says. You can let that stuff go. So, I'm off my notes. Anyway, back to my notes. The intent of this teaching is to explain what the believer can expect and what is to be expected of the believer. So, in this teaching, I'm going to be talking about the expectation of righteousness. When we think of, you know, you think of there is an expectation that comes along with something. So, if you get um, a glass of water with ice, like I have a glass of water with ice, I expect it to be cold. That's, that, that's the expectation. Being a believer, being righteous, there's an expectation that goes along with that. A righteous person should line up with righteousness. So my intent in this teaching is to explain what the believer can expect and explain what is expected of the believer. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. And we're going to see the state and the condition of the believer. And we've been looking at that all these weeks. That has not changed. It's the blessed state. So we're going to look at the state and condition of the believer. We're going to look at the circumstances and the situation that the believer can expect. What can you expect? Being a believer, what can you expect? And then we're going to look at the expected character and behavior of the believer. So we're going to look at the expected character and behavior of the believer. Now, as we look at this, this is just going to flow throughout the teaching. You'll, you'll see what it is. I probably won't call it out, but those are the things we're going to be talking about. So the lifestyle of a believer, and when I say a believer, that's somebody who's submitted to Christ, who Christ is the Lord of their life. The lifestyle of a believer is in direct contrast to the world we live in. The Beatitudes are these scriptures that we've been looking at the past few weeks. Um, they're characteristics of people who depend on and live for God. These are, they are to be taken together. You can't say, um, oh, okay, those are characteristics of people who depend on and live for God. Okay, well, I don't mind being meek, so I, I choose meekness. But you know what? I am not going to be persecuted. I am not going to be poor in spirit. I'll just stick with the meekness. You can't say I want one and not the other. These are all things that go together. It's descriptions. It's just more descriptions showing you what the kingdom of heaven is, what the citizens of the king, the character of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So let's go. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. Verse 10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So I'm going to be looking at those three verses, and we're just going to break them down. So the first word there, blessed. And, and we've gotten such a great definition of blessed over these past few weeks. So what is blessed? This is just a review. 
is fortunate, is happy, well off at the highest level, satisfied, complete. It's what you have going for you, what's counted as yours. So when we are in Christ, we're blessed. Being blessed is built into salvation. Being blessed is a state or condition of the believer. So what's the state or the condition of the believer? It's being blessed. So being blessed is built into salvation. So, and we're going to get into this deeper later on in later weeks, but being blessed is built into salvation. So when you are saved, you are blessed. So, if you are blessed, when you're saved, you're blessed, you also have the ability to have all these characteristics. So, being blessed is a state or condition of the believer. Believers can expect to be persecuted, insulted, and suffer for the gospel's sake, but it doesn't change our blessed state. So, when you look at this, it says, blessed are ye, excuse me, verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, the word is saying here that you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. It doesn't say you're blessed after the persecution ends. It doesn't say you're blessed before the persecution starts, which you are, but you're blessed. You're blessed throughout all of that. We're blessed because of God, not because of the world. So, when we look at this, you say, wait a minute, persecution? And we're going to dig into persecution. Persecution is not good. It's not something that we necessarily um, would like to have. You know, it's, it's not, you're like, oh, that seems uncomfortable. We don't necessarily think being uncomfortable, you could be blessed and uncomfortable. But see, that's, we, we can't think of things the way the world has taught us. This is the king telling us this is what blessed is. So we have to understand, we have to train our mind. We say it another way, we say renew our mind to what God is telling us. So you're persecuted for righteousness sake, you're blessed. If Jesus says that we're blessed, then we're blessed. The next thing we're going to look at is persecuted. So when you, like I was saying earlier, persecution yeah, it doesn't, you know, you don't think, oh, persecution, that's exciting. No. When you think persecution, for any reason, you see it as a punishment or some type of punitive response to something you did wrong. It is not like, oh, man, you did such a great job, I'm going to persecute you. That's not it. That's not what we have. Persecution, it, it, it denotes punishment. It is, it is we would say it's not something you necessarily want. It's not, it's not something like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. But persecution is the result of a clash between two irreconcilable value systems. It's the result of a clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Go over to First uh, Peter. I'm going to take a look at this. So, we're talking about persecution, but this is in the context of persecution for righteousness sake. And we're going to get into this, and we're going to talk about the differences of what you can expect and what, what you shouldn't expect as a believer. So, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 
We're going to look at verses 12 through 16. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part he is evil speaking of, speak spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God on this behalf. So we're looking here and Peter comes in and he says, hey, you know what? Don't think it's strange. Don't think that something that is out of the ordinary that you're being persecuted for righteousness sake. And he goes on to say you're partakers of Christ's suffering. If you, We're going to talk about this later on as well. Christ was persecuted for righteousness sake. So if you're in Christ, you have, as a believer, you have the expectation, I'm in Christ. He was persecuted for righteousness sake. I will be persecuted for righteousness sake. And he says, I like this in verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. What, what do we say? Uh, uh, what they say? What do we say? Blessed is it's happy. So it's blessed. And here you go again. It's saying you persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're blessed. So being persecuted as a believer for righteousness' sake is not unusual, and it's not because of sin. So sometimes you will see that. You people will say, you know, you. you you look at, people will say, oh, this is happening to them, that's happening to them, because they're not in right standing with God. But if you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, then that's not because of sin, that's because of righteousness. And we're going to talk about types of persecution and the difference there. So when Jesus is your Lord and you're submitted to him, you'll be a partaker in his suffering. Because you're in him. He was, the world persecuted him, the world's going to persecute you. We can't let circumstances of this world make us hopeless. So when persecution comes, it doesn't, it, it comes to, to take away or destroy your belief. It comes to bring you down. It comes to pull you away from what you believe. But you can't let that persecution make you hopeless. We have our hope. We have our foundation, our belief, our whole life is based on the word of God. So we're not going to find our hope in this system. So when this system comes at us, this world comes at us, it doesn't matter how they come at us, we know what we believe. So this system's not going to provide comfort for us. It's not going to provide peace for us. It's not designed to. This is all passing away. Any comfort, any peace that you find in this world system, it's not true. It's passing away. It's temporal. We have peace and security in our salvation. What we need to understand is persecution does not change the goodness of God. You know, God keeps telling us and he keeps 
letting us know and preparing our hearts for things to come. The word tells us believers will suffer persecution. And he's saying, when these things come at you, I have not changed. I am still your rock. I am still your comfort. I am still your peace. I have not forgotten you. But just understand, this persecution comes because it's a clash of irreconcilable value systems. You don't believe, you don't live like the world lives, and they've got an issue with that. So now their response is persecution. So we have to remember that our security, our peace, our comfort comes from God. Even though our circumstances are contrary to what we may have thought being blessed is. So that's when you have to remember, who told you you were blessed? It was Jesus. Who is Jesus? Oh, wait a minute. Jesus is the king. He has all authority. He's my savior. Okay, then. Yeah, my circumstances may not show that, may not make me feel blessed. My, but guess what? Feelings change. This morning, I didn't feel good. But now, guess what? I feel so much better. But feelings change. They're temporal. But, like I said earlier, when Jesus says you're blessed, you're blessed. You don't have to worry about all the rest of it. So, we don't have to really worry about what the world is telling us. We have our final verdict from the Creator. You know, if all the stuff that's going on and all the things that we see and all of the, um, let me think of the best word I want to use here. Um, all of the things people tell us we are, you know, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And there are a lot of voices. You know, people tell you, oh, you did a great job. Oh, you're so good at this. Oh, you don't do that very well. All these things that you hear. The final verdict, the final say, is what God says. So if God says you're blessed, you're blessed. So in this, we're looking at persecution for righteousness sake. So those, those are the people who are blessed. People who are blessed are persecuted for righteousness sake. There's a big difference in being persecuted for righteousness sake and being then suffering consequences for, for evil. If you look over there, same place we were looking at, verse 15, uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 15. Specifically says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. So, that is different. You're, we're, as believers, we're not supposed to suffer as murderers, as thieves, as evildoers, as busybodies in other men's matters. So, in this, it's kind of broken up into two parts. You've got murderer and thief. So, when I look at that, and I was reading some stuff, and they were saying it's kind of broken up into criminal activity, and then another one was like socially criminal activity. So murdering, you, you're not supposed to murder somebody. That's wrong. Kill them. Stealing, that's wrong. You're doing stuff against the law. You're not supposed to suffer for those things because you're not supposed to do them. So it's not like, as a believer, I can go out and, and steal a whole lot of money and then somebody, I get arrested. Oh, no, I'm suffering. I'm got, you know, they're taking me to jail. Oh, oh, but I'm suffering for Christ. No, I'm not. I am reaping what I've sown. I did something wrong. 
Your actions have consequences. So if you steal and you go to jail and then you can't get a job and, and you know, everything happens, the domino effect, you can't say, I'm suffering for Christ's sake. Because God has not told you to steal. That's not part of righteousness. But you'll, you'll, you'll see that. People will say, well, they're just after me. You know, you'll hear these people and they'll get caught doing something that is wrong. And it's specifically wrong. It's not even like, well, you know, that's an unwritten rule. No, you, you stole, you embezzled. And then they're just after me because our church is doing so well and we're doing, no, 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 no. If you're stealing, you, 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 you need to just sit down and learn the word. So those are consequences. And as believers, we shouldn't, that's not, shouldn't be named among us. So those are things, okay, yeah. We're not, those are the big things. Those are things you can get, get caught and get in trouble for. So we kind of stay away from those things. But then the next two things there, um, as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. So we'll say socially criminal activity. Stuff you're not supposed to do socially. So as an evildoer, disrespecting and dishonoring other people, stirring up trouble, Always being just, oh, what's the word, um, unpleasant. You know, and you always got something negative. And I'm not talking about saying, I'm not talking about, you know, something's wrong and you say this is wrong. This is just always got something to say, always trying to start mess. You, you saying this and, oh, well, did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you see that? Oh, did you see what so-and-so posted on this, saying this and that? That's, that's evil doing. Just always trying to make something out of nothing. Somebody makes a comment and you blow it out of proportion and you tell everybody all these different things. And now you're wondering why nobody wants to be around you. And you say, well, they, they just don't like me. I'm suffering for righteousness sake because I just tell it like it is. I say what God says. No, you're disagreeable. You're dishonoring people. And you, you know, here's the thing, the, the thing about it is, you know, we live in a different time. D- different from me. Growing up, you know, social media is, is newer to me. Some people have always had social media. And what happens on social media, you, you, uh, you get to say stuff that you wouldn't necessarily say in person. So you go out there and you throw these inflammatory remarks out. Or you, you post something, and you know you are being passive-aggressive. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly why you're posting it. You know the people who like and comment on your stuff, and you're posting it just to get a rise out of people, just to start some mess. And then you look on your friend list, and you see so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so have unfriended you. Oh, I'm being suffered. I'm persecuted for a, a righteous estate because you remember I put that scripture up the other day, and I know they, I know I, it said this, and I know they did that. No, you, you're not being persecuted. You're, you're suffering because you're an evildoer. You're a busybody. You're all up in stuff you shouldn't be in, in other men's matters. So you think because you. You go under the guise of Christianity, but it is all out of malice. It's out of hatred. It it, is to cause division and and, and to sow discord. 
And then you wonder why you lose friends, whether that be on your social media or in in real life. You wonder why you can't get hired on a job. It's because you're putting all that mess out there. You're disrespecting people. You're stirring up trouble. You're acting a fool. That's not suffering for righteousness' sake. The big deal now is, what do we call it? Cancel culture. Let me tell you something. Like I said earlier, all the little cute sayings that we have now, if you want to say them, say them. But you better understand what they mean. You better understand how other people are hearing you. So, don't get caught up with the trends of today. Rely on God. But there are consequences for your actions. If you are acting a fool, and when I say acting a fool, I'll use this. Okay, I'll use that example. So let's say, I'll use me. Let's say after service, I go out here and I get in the middle of the road and I start screaming, I start yelling, and I start using all this hateful, racist language towards people. And then somebody's like, whatever, lady, I'm sick of you. And they push me and they hit me. I, I was acting a fool. They, I, those were consequences for my actions. Maybe they could have not hit me. Maybe, they, you know, something else could have happened. But let's say they don't hit me. Everything's fine. But somebody videotapes it. And it gets on Facebook. And then my boss sees it. And he, he calls me and he says, Kelly, well, that was interesting what you did. We don't believe in that. That's not what this company stands for. I'm going to have to let you go because you just did some, some stuff that we, we, can't, we can't deal with. So now what we'll say, what's be, understand what we'll say is, oh, that's cancel culture. They, they, I, I have a right to say what I have to say. You really don't have a right, and especially as a believer. As a believer, you, you have a right to follow God. So every one of your actions has a consequence. You may not know the consequence of it when you put it out there, but understand that there is a consequence. So don't go being a social criminal and then think that you're not going to get you're not going to suffer suffer for your socially criminal activity, whether that is in person or whether that is on your social media. So, you know, and I look at it as believers, it doesn't matter if the time changes. It doesn't matter whether you write it in a letter, whether you um, write it in the sky, or it's on social media. Your character is the character of a believer. So, you don't have to go, all this stuff you're doing, don't try to put God in that. Just, you know what, take down your, your scripture. If you're acting like that, don't try to put God in that. Don't be a hypocrite. If your lifestyle is not bringing glory to God, then your words and your social media posts aren't either. You know, what does it make the inside of the cup clean? Make the inside of the cup clean. And then, you know, and maybe, maybe you're not doing it necessarily on purpose, but you're wondering why you're not being impactful, why you're not being effective. It's because there's some things in you that you need to clean out. Let's go over to 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3.
So 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. And this is Paul speaking. And, and the verse really I want to focus on is 12, but I wanted to read uh, verses 10 and 11 because of what I just said, that your lifestyle needs to preach your words. It needs to preach what you say. Everything needs to, to fall in line. So, verse 10, it says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecution, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. So Paul is saying, you've seen my lifestyle. You've seen what I've endured because of my lifestyle. In verse 12 it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So once again we see here, those who live godly, live godly. Not just, not just say godly, but live godly. Paul said in verse 10, You fully know my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. That's his lifestyle. That's who he is. So all who live godly will suffer persecution. So what is persecution? I know I've been talking about it, but let's give you a definition. Persecution is a description of harsh treatment. It's harassment and suffering which people and institutions, and when I say institution, these are just groups of people. Okay? So persecution is harassment and suffering which people and institutions inflict upon others for being different in their faith, worldview, culture, or race. Persecution seeks to intimidate, silence, punish, or even kill people. So persecution is a description of harsh treatment. It's harassment and suffering which people and institutions inflict upon others for being different in their faith, worldview, culture, or race. Persecution seeks to intimidate, silence, punish, or even to kill people. Forms of persecution may range from official widespread government programs to informal mistreatment of people. Persecution comes in varying degrees, from executions and mob killings to ostracism and insults. So you can see that persecution, it has lots of different looks. It can be, you know, I, I look at it and you say institutions and people start to think, like I, I think of institutions right away, think of institutions of higher learning. I think of, of the university that I went to and they'll say, oh, that university has institutional racism. If you took the people out of those buildings and off that land, all the people, that land, that building, the fountains, all that stuff, they're not racist. It's the people that are racist. And they have built systems, that means processes, guidelines, procedures, that will, um, say, punish people for the, the color of their skin. That's institutional racism. It's not like the buildings are racist. It is the people who make the processes. Sometimes we'll say the laws, we'll say the procedures, the guidelines. So when we think of persecution, and we'll say the institution of 
okay, we'll say like the Nazi regime back in World War II. They persecuted the Jews. It was not like, you know, a building that went and put all these people in concentration camps and killed them. It was people. And they was a group of people and they became an institution. So when we say that, once again, words matter. If you don't know what a word means, look it up. Try to figure out what it is. Because when we talk about persecution, you may say this, this institution is persecuting a group of people. No, people persecute people. Okay? This, that chair cannot persecute me. It's a chair. A person sitting in that chair can persecute someone. So when we talk about persecution, it takes on many different forms. The one thing, write this down. I, I, was, I just wrote this earlier. It's actually written on my notes because God said we need to say this. Believers are not supposed to persecute people. I'm going to read the definition of persecution again. Believers are not supposed to persecute people. That is not an expectation of a believer to be a persecutor. So here it is. Persecution is a description of harsh treatment. It's harassment and suffering which people and institutions inflict upon others for being different in their faith, worldview, culture, or race. Persecution seeks to intimidate, silence, punish, or to even kill people. Once again, believers are not supposed to persecute people. So, there are different types of persecution. One type is persecution by action. And this is persecution by doing something. Of course, action means doing. So, when we look in in Jesus' day, they would persecute those who believed in Christ because they'd separate them from their company. What that means is they wouldn't be around them. They they would kick them out of the religious institutions. They couldn't come to the temple and worship anymore because of what they believed. They would censure them. They would say, they were reprimanding them publicly and say, what you believe is wrong. We, We do not associate with you anymore. They reprimanded them. They denounced them. They excommunicated. They put them out from the assembly because of righteousness sake. Another way we look at persecution, another action is imprisonment. People were, we know Paul was in prison because of what he believed. You could be fined, beaten, punished, and and even killed. We've seen it for righteousness sake. So we look at these things and we say, okay, well that really doesn't doesn't happen a whole lot now, does it? You know, like when you think about it, you're like, "Mm, I don't really know if I've ever seen that. But here's here's another persecution by action. God, God showed me this earlier today and I was like, oh, you know what, God, that's true. So, of course, it's true because God told me. So, let's say, and um, this has been, God has been telling us that we need to check our associations. And sometimes we don't have the courage to check our associations. Live righteously. Your associations, you won't have to check them. They'll fall away. And this is why. Because they will no longer welcome you in their company. So that's persecution by action. We used to hang out. We used to be cool. And then, you know what? I heard something. I heard the truth. I responded to the truth. Now I'm living the truth. 
we hang out and, you know, we're hanging out and whatever we did that was not righteous, it was not, you know, wasn't what it was supposed to be. Maybe you said, you know, you're talking bad about people and I don't necessarily get into that anymore. You're like, oh, okay. So the next time we hang out, you know, we're doing something else and I'm like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not into that right now. Oh, you know what? No, I'm not going to go out late on, on Saturday night. I have, I have uh, service on Sunday. It's just virtual service. No, I still, need to be, I still need to be on my P's and Q's. I don't need to be doing all that foolishness. So after a while, you know what? They're going to say, mm. And they might not say this to you. All of a sudden, you'll notice that you get less text. You get less phone calls. I'm going I'm to tell you a story. It, it, it is a personal thing that happened to me. I was hanging out with this person. I thought we were friends. We were cool. You know, we went to lunch and we'd hang out. You know, she'd come over. You know, we were friends. You know, okay, yeah. So all of a sudden, I started getting less texts. I started getting less phone calls. Hey, you want to go to lunch? Oh, I'm busy. I got so much to do. And then, you know, I sometimes I don't really think deep. I'm just like, oh, she's busy. So it just so happened I was sitting I was sitting in that room over there. I was, I was working on CDs, and, and um, founding Pastor came in, and we were just talking about stuff, and he was asking me how I was going. And um, he just mentioned it, and I said, well, Pastor, you know, this, this person, you know, I don't know. I think I did something wrong because she doesn't even talk to me anymore. You know, she speaks to me, but she runs from me. And he said, sometimes people run from you because you're not doing what they're doing. And I said, oh, okay. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't do what she was doing. That, that, that's persecution by action. I don't like that you're, you're, you're living a certain way. You're living according to God's standard. So you know what? I'm going to part company from you. I don't really have nothing for you no more. I barely speak to you, and it's, it's dry hay, you know. But, but that's okay. Because what? Those who live righteously will suffer persecution. So that's persecution by action. Those are the things we can see. But then we got persecution of the tongue. This is slander. It's to speak evil against falsely because of someone's Christian character. It's to have bitter words against someone. So persecution of the tongue is slander, to speak evil against someone falsely because of someone's Christian character, to have bitter words against someone. You're using your words to harass a person's character. You're trying to demean or bully a person using words. And so now when you see these things, when you see persecution, what persecution is, you're like, yeah, believers are not supposed to persecute people. Well, I was talking about that passive-aggressive attitude. Yeah, you're not supposed to try to demean and bully a person using words or actions. It's talking negatively about another person. It's making unsubstantiated claims about a person, their character, or their actions. Well, you know, I see them doing it, but I just think they just want to be in the spotlight. Every time they ask if some, somebody can do something, they volunteer. I just think they like being seen. Huh? You don't know what they like. Oh, you know, they're just trying to be better than us, just trying to make everybody else look bad. You know, they just fake. They're just so fake. Every time they always got this net to say. And here's one. So, so that, that, is, that is what you say about a person when you see them doing something. But here's, here's, here's one. Oh, oh, I see you now. But don't forget, I know where you come from. You know, we all come from somewhere. So why, why do you have to say that to them? What are you trying to prove? So those, those are words 
Those are persecution of the tongue. You know, I was, if you want to say something about that person, if you do think whatever you think, pray about it. Use your tongue to pray instead of use your, your tongue to try to demean or bully somebody. Believers are not supposed to persecute people. You're not supposed to persecute anybody else as a believer. Then we have persecution of the heart. This is an inward hatred. This type of persecution starts long before any other type of persecution occurs. But it is the root of all other kinds of persecution. So you, and we know this, what's in your heart is going to come out. So you, but long before you say those demeaning words to someone or you try to bully somebody or you say I'm done with them, I ain't fooling with them, you act crazy towards them because of righteousness sake, long before you did that, you had persecution of the heart. Many people are guilty of persecution of the heart and it's never come out because they've never had the power to do it. You know, it's like, you, you get that, you're like, oh, if I ever, if I ever, and you always got something going on. You got issues with people. You're allowing your thoughts to harass people because you're walking with, because they're walking with God. So, you're allowing your thoughts. So, you see someone who's walking with God. They are obeying and doing the will of God. And then, you allow your thoughts to start thinking demeaning things about them, false things about them, things, you know, unsubstantiated claims about their character, about who they are. So you allow that to happen in your mind. And notice I said allow. You mean the thought comes and you don't arrest that thought. You don't say, no, 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 that's not how I think about my brother. That's not how I think about my sister. You let that thought go. What's happening is their walk with Christ irritates you. Now, think about that. Somebody else's walk with Christ irritates you. That, that makes no sense, right? But that's what happens. So what happens is their walk with Christ irritates you, but instead of dealing with the real issue, you go and attack that person. So let's go over to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to look at, we're going to look at somebody that did this. So Genesis chapter 4, we're going to look at Cain. So we're going to start at verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings, firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. We're going to keep reading, but I want to go back to this. So, Cain and Abel. So Cain and his brother Abel. Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Abel brought an offering to the Lord. These are two separate people. They are both bringing an offering to the Lord. So Abel's offering is not to Cain. Cain's offering is not to Abel. It's to the Lord. Cain 
God didn't respect Cain's offering, but he respected Abel's. So, go back to verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So Cain is like, God didn't respect my offering? Oh, I'm, I'm wroth. I am upset. I am mad. And not only am I mad, my face shows it. I'm just to act a fool. Mm, I got attitude. Yeah. Mm, God, how are you not going to respect my offering? That's, you, you, you're like, whoa, wait, that's crazy, right? It's hard to even say in plan. But that's what, that's what uh, Cain did. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is there countenance falling? If thou doest well, shall it, shall it not be accepted? God says, hey, if you do well, if you do what's act, if you, if you do what's right, won't it be accepted? And if thou doesn't, if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So if you don't do well, you're about to sin. And guess what? Here's what this next sentence it means that sin, sin comes in and it wants to rule over you. So it says here, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be, shall it, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So sin is lying at the door and it wants to come in and rule over you. So th- this, is, this is the exchange between God and Cain. So Cain's still got an issue. He's getting mad. In his mind, his attitude is already changing. So now, there's persecution of the heart already. He already got an issue. So now, in verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother. Okay, so Cain got issues in his heart and he talks to Abel, his brother. We don't know what the conversation was, but basically because he's wroth, his countenance has fallen, he, he got out, his mind is messed up, he's got out his attitude, he talks to his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So here is Cain. He has an issue because God didn't accept his offering. And I guess, you know, he has an issue because his offering was accepted. But his brother Abel's offering is accepted. So now, not only does he have an issue with his offering not being accepted, he's got an issue with the person whose offering was accepted. Now, see, that doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you, because I was reading this and I thought about it. So, in this scripture, it does not say that there was no more firstlings of the flock to offer. So, Cain gets upset with his brother for doing something that he could have done. So, Cain's heart is already wrong. You see that. Because the offering that he gave, he could have given better. He didn't give his best, he just gave what he wanted to, what he thought was right. So he goes in, this happens, and he gets upset. And he has persecution in his heart long before he kills his brother. So his unchecked unchecked heart leads him, causes his attitude to change, so he was wroth. He could have been wroth and been like, whoa, this is the wrong response to this. You know what? God is God. I need to check my heart and get these things right. But no, what he did was like, I know God didn't. Got attitude. Then he talks to his brother. So his attitude changed and eventually his actions changed and he killed his brother. But the thing about it is, Cain's issue really isn't with Abel, it's with God. 
Sin is against God. It's not against those who are walking with God. Write this down. If a servant of God calls out your sin, your issue is still with God, not the person that God is using. So it doesn't matter if somebody calls out your sin from this setting. If you're sitting and you're having a conversation with a brother or sister and they say something and it hits you, it doesn't matter. If, if a servant of God calls out your sin, your issue is with God. The sin is against God, not the person calling out your sin. So that's what Cain, Cain was just like, I'm just going to kill him because I don't even like what he did. He's trying to show me up. To Cain, Abel's obedience and his stand for righteousness was a reminder of his disobedience. So Cain was disobedient, and every time he saw Abel, he saw, wait a minute, that's the way I'm supposed to look, but I look like this. So what he did was he said, let me get rid of what I'm supposed to look like. So Abel's obedience was a living, breathing reminder to Cain that he wasn't meeting the standard of God. So instead of changing to meet the standard of God, he murdered his brother because he didn't want to be reminded of the standard of God. Cain wanted to silence the conviction. You know, that's the separating of the company. Let me get away from these people because they remind me of the standard of God. Let me demean these people because they remind me of the standard of God. And if I can vilify them, then I can vilify the standard of God because that's the way they're living. If I, in my heart, if I can think bad thoughts about them, then I don't have to listen. I don't have to have that conviction. That, that, that's where persecution comes. That's why persecution comes. When persecution for righteousness comes, it comes to you personally, but it's not about you. It's about the standard of God. One reason that persecution comes is to move you away from what you believe. It comes to distract you so you won't be fruitful and productive in the kingdom. Go over to Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew chapter 13, and this is the parable, parable about the sower and the seed. And we're going to read, um, we're just going to read verses 20 and 21. But he that receiveth the seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. So they hear the word, the ones who receive it in stony places, they hear the word, they get it, and it's like, oh yeah, this is great, I love this. Verse 21, yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. And in the end, they don't, you don't bear fruit. So when persecution comes, it's to get you off track. So here's the thing. So if you are living, you, you are living according to the righteousness of God. You are living according to God's standard. And then the persecution comes. So let's say somebody, your, your friends, I said, we're not hanging out with you because you, you, you too, you too holy and sanctified now. Da, da, da. You don't want to do this with us. You don't want to get high with us no more. And you say, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that because I want to still be your friend. 
So that's persecution for righteousness sake. And you didn't stand for righteousness. You decided to compromise. So now you can't bear fruit. So you, you stopped what started. You have to have the word deep in your heart. You have to have your mind made up so that when the persecution comes, you can say, no, I'm not going to do that. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I can go somewhere else. Or when somebody says something about you, you don't even, you don't even have to say nothing. You can just walk away. But understand you're not going to compromise the standard of God because somebody comes at you trying to harass you, trying to bully you, trying to intimidate you or harm you. What we need to realize is that bearing fruit gives glory to God and it builds the kingdom. That You want to talk about building king, uh, kingdom building? Stand in the face of persecution. Let the word of God take root in your heart so when heat and pressure of persecution comes, you don't give up. Don't let persecution cause you to abandon the one who is the source of salvation. He will say, well, Sister Castillo, I'm not abandoning God. I'm not abandoning Jesus just because I compromise. Think about that again. You are in Christ. When you're in Christ, you do what pleases him. You don't step outside of Christ to do what pleases your flesh or to do what pleases other people. You do what pleases him. You don't sacrifice your relationship with Christ for anything or anyone, whether it's persecution or not. It doesn't matter where the persecution comes from. It can come from your best friend. It can come from your husband. It can come from your wife. It can come from your family. You Listen, those things are temporal. And I know you hear those, those relations that I brought up. He's like, what? Those are temporal. Those are passing away. Jesus, his word is, is true. It is lasting. Don't get caught up with what men can do do to you in this temporary state. Stay focused on that which is eternal. Persecution comes because wicked men hate God. And therefore, they hate people who are like him. If people don't want to be reformed, they don't want to be changed, They will persecute and they'll hate those who show the wickedness of their behavior. We're going to pick this up next week. And we're going to talk about what I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Because darkness and light can't be in the same place. Lights are on in this building so it's not dark. But if I want to stay in darkness, I'm going to turn those lights off. And that's what persecution does. It wants to turn those lights off so so that you and whoever else and they can stay in darkness. But understand, we spent a lot of time on persecution tonight, but we're going to get into some other things next week. But it's so important that we understand these things. Remember, as believers, we don't persecute people. We will be persecuted, but we can always remember we are blessed because Jesus has said we're blessed. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.